0: science fiction story in astounding science fiction and the story was originally entitled Nightmare Blues and they retitled it Operation Syndrome later on it came out in 1954 in astounding now this is an ominously prophetic and frightening tale of electronic mind control which seems to have been inspired by The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. This was an old uh, silent uh, film from 1919 um, about a scientist who uh, was in in an insane asylum and he had a, uh, a stage hypnotist who uh, was impersonating him and doing the carnival circuit and uh, controlling a somnambulist in a coffin and sending him out to commit a series of murders. That was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, uh, German silent film 1919. Uh, now, in uh, however, in Nightmare Blues... Uh, also has a scientist who ends up in a madhouse who invents a machine that projects thoughts, a telepathy transceiver, which is stolen by a music industry producer and promoter who uses it to enhance his star's vocal performances. However, each city where they perform experiences catastrophic outbreaks of mass insanity. And now, one of this the mad scientist's former students, a psychologist, teams up with a ham radio operator to create an antidote machine. Now, this story was, as I said, published in 1954 and it was set, supposed to take place in 1999. Now, it deals. With issues and theories that resonate today. So, if you want to contemplate some high tech horror for Halloween, tune in, stay with us, and we'll turn up the volume. Now, as our regular listeners know, we've been recently reviewing various works of prophetic science fiction published in the 20th century that have predicted conditions and situations now manifesting in the 21st century. We have reprised Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, which predicted the the deterioration of American industry, George Orwell's 1984, which predicted the end of British and American freedom and dignity, Corbluth's The Marching Morons, which predicted the dumbing down of the American people, and Frank Herbert's Dune, which predicted the Arabian domination of world transportation and the present international terrorist jihad. Now, for Halloween this year, we would like to look back at another of Frank Herbert's prophetic tales, the 1954-story Nightmare Blues. Now, to summarize the story, which is supposed to take place in 1919, the turn of the century, we open with a worldwide epidemic of violent outbreaks of mass insanity. Now, these are much like our zombie apocalypse films today. They occur in various cities around the world. People run amok in destructive riots, public suicides, and mass chaos. Honolulu, London karachi and and all around the world the epidemic is called the syndrome and no one knows the cause so enter the hero or the protagonist if hero seems too macho for you it's uh you know protagonist is a little more politically correct these days we'll talk about political correctness as a form of brainwashing in a little bit uh And uh, the psychologist, the hero, is an experimental psychologist who works with a telepathic machine called the teleprobe, invented by this scientist who ended up in the asylum. Now, our hero, Dr. Eric Ladd, is located in Seattle. And he works with a teleprobe in his practice, with his clients. And uh, this, of course, has influence on some other science fiction stories like uh, 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 Inception, the, the the movie, and, and uh, uh, the Dream Masters. and you know, but, but this uh, machine affects him as well as his patients. He dreams about a female singer singing a song called Insane Crazy Blues. He meets the vocalist herself, Colleen Lanai, on the street. This is too much of a, of a coincidence, but uh, I suppose if you're going to, if if, you're, if she's reaching him in a, in, in a dream, and he's got the mission, then then they could probably end up walking out in the same street, meeting each other. Okay, uh, and uh, and he discovers that her producer. And a company, that kind of company used, this Pete Serrantes, got the plans for the teleprobe from his old mentor in the asylum and built his own version of it, which he called the Musicron. Now, both these units uh, operate with a, with a bowl on the head. Uh, but with the Musicron, the operator sits inside a cabinet. Now, I said above that this story may have been inspired by the old silent horror film *The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari* by Robert Wiene in 1919. Caligari was also the the, the 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 scientist. Dr. Caligari was also in an asylum, and uh, and this uh, and this stage hypnotist impersonated him uh, on the carnival circuit. And uh, the stage performer used a somnambulist under hypnosis
1: uh, in his act,
0: and the somnambulist made predictions. But the synambulist also uh, went out uh, like Dracula out of his cabinet and, and committed a series of murders. Um I also suspect that Herbert was influenced by Richard Shaver and his ancient electronic mind-control machine stories, which were popular around the time Nightmare Blues was written. Now we might as well insert a plug for our midnight movie on this theme, Beyond the Mirror, second edition, and mention our own version of the teleprobe, Shaver's Telod, the Inca Gravitron. Now, we also might mention around this time in the 1950s, electronic music and music augmentation was just getting started and jazz was embracing the technology. The theremin and synthesizers were being developed and subliminal audio and visuals were being experimented with. Electronic mind control was in the incubator stage Uh, To get on with the story, though, uh, Dr. Eric retraces Colleen and Pete's world tour gig and realizes that after they perform in each city, the mass insanity syndrome breaks out. He uses the Jungian collective unconscious to theorize how the effect works. He suggests that the, uh, the music rhyme dislocates the consciousness point and suspends it as if on a long fishing line down into the deep subconscious where demonic forces can take control of the psyche. Of course, this confirms my previous conclusion that Frank Herbert was hermetic in his personal philosophy. Many of his works, including Dune, also confirm this. To make it a good story, Colleen finally realizes that she and Pete are causing the epidemic and she leaves him for Eric. And she brings with her the evil Pete's plans for the music for the music, music run. Now Eric decides to build an antidote version. Now in trying to buy parts for his anecdote version, he acquires the help of Baldy Platt, a ham radio enthusiast, and they go to work building their anti-infernal machine. Now, this whole sequence is delightful. The original Musicron is similar to and perhaps influenced by Edward John Starmack, uh, which John Hatfield Hart uh, lifted for his Hidden World Receiver in 1961. And if you want to see the plans for that, uh, they are the, that's in the 7th the Ray, book 3, The Green Ray, in 2011. Now, this was basically an ultra-high frequency amplifier which picked up extraterrestrial or interterrestrial transmissions. It was originally a tube set, but Herbert's lab and Platt had the same problem that we had, that Dr. X and I had. Uh, The American electronics industry had gone over to transistors in the 1950s, away from tubes. And unless you could find Russian virgin commies, the only vacuum tubes available, you were just out of luck. But we built a working model of the StarMech with transistors, and Herbert's team built their Musicron in time to save the world from the nightmare blues. And, of course, uh, the story does raise a lot of questions. How much did Herbert know about all of this in the 1950s? Was he simply inspired by Shaver, or did he have other sources? Now, Herbert had a scientific mind. You can tell that he knew electronics as you read the description of the Musicron's parts and circuitry. He was comfortable with the technical and psychological aspects of this tale. Could he have been predicting something already in development? Very possibly so. We all know the story of Lucille Ball's tooth. In 1941, the actress, Lucy, had some dental work that received Morse code signals. She rode with the FBI in an RDF van to an apartment in Hollywood where they arrested a Japanese black dragon clandestine radio operator. Now, if the black dragons could reach Lucy's tooth in 1941, what could the CIA or the KGB do in 1951? We should also recall the experimentation on sound frequencies and their psychological effects. You can go online, by the way, and experience the effects of some of these tonalities and rhythms if you want to, and they're kind of disturbing. Music itself has long been known to have deep and moving psychological effects. Magic, we are well aware of shamanic drumming and the effects of rhythm creating trance and visionary states which can affect our emotions. Perhaps more insidious, is the entire subliminal technology, both audio and visual, which Congress tried to get under control in the 1950s. Along with this, the new semantic brainwashing discipline of neurolinguistics has created the art of sentient propaganda and carried it down to new depths. As an example of mass brainwashing, the mental syndrome of political correctness has been so effectively imposed upon the entire population that any breach of that diabolical ethic creates an immediate negative reaction, which can become a chain reaction, a political weapon of mass destruction. And uh, at this point, having said that, I'm going to read an article on on the origins and the theory behind political correctness, because this is a form of brainwashing. It's a form of brainwashing which has affected virtually all of us, and and it's something that we, uh, something that, quite frankly, uh, as a magician, uh, I think political correctness is one of the greatest dangers to our freedom of thought, and it is certainly brainwashing. Now, this is... uh, and then what I want to read here is from discoverthenetworks.org, a guide to the political left. And it's, uh, it's called Political Correctness, Cultural Marxism. America today is dominated by a system of beliefs, attitudes, and values that we have come to know as political correctness. For many, it is an annoyance and a self-parodying joke But political correctness is deadly serious in its aims, seeking to impose a uniformity of thought and behavior on all Americans. It is therefore totalitarian in nature. Its roots lie in a version of Marxism which sees culture, rather than the economy, as the site of class struggle. Under Marxist economic theory, The oppressed workers were supposed to be the beneficiaries of a social revolution that would place them on the top of the power structure. When these revolutionary opportunities presented themselves, however, the workers did not respond. The Marxist revolutionaries did not blame their theory uh, for these failures. Instead, they blamed the ruling class, which had bought off the workers by giving them rights and had blinded them with a false consciousness that led them to support national governments and a liberal democracy. One group of Marxist intellectuals resolved this apparent contradiction of Marxist theory by an analysis that focused on society's cultural superstructure rather than on the economic base, as Marx did. The Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci. And the Hungarian Marxist uh, George uh, Lukacs contributed the most to this cultural Marxism among Marxists. Gramsci is noted for his history, for his theory. Cultural hege- he- 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 hegemony is the means to class dominance. In his, in, in his view, a new communist man had to be created through a changed culture. Before any political revolution was possible, this led to a focus on the efforts of intellectuals in the fields of education and media. George Lukács believed that for a new Marxist culture to emerge, the existing culture must be destroyed, he said. I saw the revolutionary destruction of society as the one and only solution to the cultural contradictions of the epoch. Such a worldwide overturning of values cannot take place without the annihilation of the old values and the creation of new ones by revolutionaries. In 1923, Lukács and the other Marxist intellectuals associated with the Communist Party in Germany founded the Institute. Of social research at Frankfurt University in Frankfurt, Germany, the institute, which became known as the Frankfurt School, was modeled after the Marx Engels Institute in Moscow in 1933. When the Nazis came to power in Germany, the members of the Frankfurt School fled. Most of them came to the United States, and many influential and many became influential in American universities. And they also uh, many of them went to Hollywood. And the Frankfurt School's studies combined Marxist analysis with Freudian psychoanalysis to form the basis of what became known as critical theory. Now, critical theory was essentially destructive criticism of the main elements of Western culture, including Christianity, capitalism, authority, the family, patriarchy, hierarchy, morality, tradition, sexual restraint, loyalty, patriotism, nationalism, heredity, ethnocentrism, convention, and conservatism. Does this all sound familiar? Yeah, doesn't it? Critical theorists recognized that traditional beliefs in the existing social structure would have to be destroyed and then replaced with a new thinking that would become as much a part of elementary consciousness as the old one had been. Their theories took hold in the tumultuous 1960s when the Vietnam War opened a Pandora's box of reevaluation and revolution. The student radicals of the era were strongly influenced by revolutionary ideas, among them those of Herbert Marcuse, a member of the Frankfurt School who, pre- who preached the great refusal, a rejection of all basic Western concepts, and an embrace of sexual liberation, and the merits of feminist and black revolutions. And his primary thesis was that university students, ghetto blacks, and the alienated, and the antisocial, and the third world could take play, uh, could take the place of the proletariat, in the coming communist revolution. Marcuse may be the most important member of the Frankfurt School in terms of the origin of political correctness because he was the critical link uh, to the counterculture of the 1960s. His objective was clear. One can rightfully speak of a cultural revolution and since the protest is directed toward the whole cultural establishment including morality of the of the existing society when addressing the general public contemporary advocates of political correctness or cultural marxism as it might just as easily be called present their beliefs with appealing simplicity as merely a as merely a commitment to being sensitive to other people and embracing values such as tolerance and diversity. The reality is different. Political correctness is the use of culture as a sharp weapon to enforce new forms and to stigmatize those who dissent from the new dispensation, ties those who insist on values that will impede the new PC regime. Free speech, and Free and Objective Intellectual Inquiry. Now, that is political correctness. And uh, I would like to also hear, because we have um, some time, plenty of time left, I'd like to uh, back some of this up with, with a reference to a book uh, called Controlling the Human Mind, The Technologies of Political Control, or Tools for Peak Performance, by Dr. Nick uh, Begich. And uh, Nick Begich is, a, is an American Indian in, uh, in, from Alaska uh, who has Ph.D., uh and uh he's the son of, of an Alaskan congressman and uh he's an expert on, on uh on mind control and uh this this uh book that he has, Controlling the Human Mind, came out uh let's see this it was published in uh, uh two thousand six. Uh and this this book documents a great deal of what we've been uh, you know, what we've been referring to electronic mind control uh, and uh, uh, the, the uh, some of the, the effects and it, and it even uh, it even mentions which and I was kind of surprised to find this out because I've read uh being quite interested in hypnosis. I read Estherbrook uh, George Estherbrook's books, uh, and to find out that George Estherbrook, the American uh, hypnotist, George Estherbrook is is originally the 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 uh the originator of the Manchurian candidate concept. I I had I thought that came from the Pavlov Institute. Uh but uh apparently Estherbrook according to uh to what uh um, um uh nick bennish uh, has in here uh, Estherbrook uh, uh originally uh, uh developed the concept and he and and, and actually back before world war Two. and uh i'll read you i'll read you about that uh, uh in in a minute but uh um Let's 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 talk about uh, uh, the actual electronic uh, uh, targeting devices. Uh, on page forty-eight, we have a little uh, little chapter called "The Beam Team," and I'll read from that. There have been stories that have been made public that describe some of the exotic uses and misuses of these technologies from the nineteen-sixties through the nineteen-seventies. There were news and intelligence reports of microwave beams being directed at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. There are some indications that beaming of the embassy was also conducted as late as 1983. This beaming has been the subject of much speculation over the years. The government has not released the full story, and for the most part, it remains classified. Speculated effects of the radiation included help impairment and mind manipulation beginning in 1965 the government tested embassy personnel for genetic damage which may have been caused by the microwave beaming at the same time they launched operation pandora where monkeys were exposed to the same type of signals in order to measure the effects Uh, i what the anti-dissections think of that while government representatives have maintained that there were no ill effects from the microwaves, the result of the embassy personnel testing in Pandora remain classified. And even though the impact of Russian microwave radiation is unclear, it turns out that there may very well have been some effect. When Dr. Gottlieb, the MKUltra program director for CIA, testified to the United States Congress, he said, that when President Nixon went to the USSR in 1971, members of his party showed abnormal behavior, including crying and depression. The spy community already knew that the Soviets had developed microwave beaming technologies which could affect mind, memory, and health. Soviet research had already shown that it was also possible to create hallucinations and significant perceptual changes in people. The CIA's use of mind-altering technologies is not not new. Under MKL, the CIA conducted memory experiments on thousands of unknowing people across the United States in 180 hospitals, research centers, and prisons. The CIA used LSD and other drugs, brainwashing, sensory deprivation, hypnosis, and many other mind-control techniques until 1976, when the United States Senate investigated these practices. It appears the names of these programs and their approaches changed over the years, but the programs have continued. Meanwhile, the Soviets had moved away, way ahead of the United States in their development of mind war technologies. They had perfected a device called the LIDA, L-I-D-A, a a machine that produced an extremely low frequency, (ELF) in a pulsing field, and a leader was used to put prisoners of war into a trance so that secrets could be extracted from them more readily. And as mentioned later, the device was tested by Dr. Ross Adley in the United States at the Loma Linda VA hospital. The Soviets went on to discover that by slight manipulation, By reversing brain polarity, that sounds kind of shaver-like, by passing very low voltage current through the front of the brain to the back, they could induce deep sleep. Mounting evidence also indicated that they may have perfected telepathic hypnosis, which could be deployed from hundreds of miles away from the target person. Now let me just mention something. Following up on that, uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago, uh, a a uh, a navy a navy sailor uh, who was in a navy hospital back east, uh, postal, if you will, and went prowling around the hospital shooting people uh, on a rampage. And his shotgun that he was using, he had engraved on it with an electric pencil. He had engraved my ELF weapon, my ELF weapon. And he claimed himself that he had been a subject of, of experiments uh, uh in uh in uh in mind control. That uh, now um uh, this this is um I would like to um let's see here I've I should have I should have dog eared this uh, I'm trying to find the uh Esther Brooks and the and the Manchurian candidate here. Um, but apparently uh Brooks, a very famous uh American uh hypnotist. Yeah, here it is, I think. Yeah. The Manchurian candidate. The idea of a Manchurian candidate, I think you're all familiar with what a, a Manchurian candidate is. A Manchurian candidate is a person who has been, usually uh, um, a prisoner of war, who's been brainwashed and, and programmed to, what, to when he returns to his native land, when he's repatriated, he will be a sleeper, a sleeper assassin. You know, uh, in other words, you've made him into a you made him into a into a sleeper a sleeper agent, terrorist, or or a, 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 you know, or hitman, an assassin. Now, the the idea of a Manchurian candidate being created can be traced back to the research of Dr. George Estabrooks, who worked in Prince's lab at Harvard University in the 1920s. He believed. That one could use hypnosis to create a multiple personality for use in developing a super spy, and he he pushed the idea on the U.S. military throughout the 1920s without success. However, after an incident in the Soviet Union, the research in his area became of interest to the to the military. Esterbrook's work was classified by the mid-1930s. Apparently, in his archives, it was noted that he stopped publishing on these subjects at that time. A review of the work of his mentor, Martin Prince, is interesting, as it appears in the Index of the Library of Congress. The 569-page book, Dissection of a Personality by Morton Prince, published in 1906, remains a classic in psychology. Prince also wrote an earlier book in 1885 called The Nature of Mind and Human, Autom- and human Automatism. Esterbrook's interest was focused on the idea that hypnosis could be used for creating the perfect spy. And by 1963, he believed that he could create a multiple personality and use them as he saw fit. He said, this is not science fiction, it is fact. I have done it. The Manchurian Candidate could be created. In the years since, there have been many claims by people that they were used in experiments by our government where their personalities were fractured in this way. It is difficult to prove, but what is clear is human victims were created in these various programs. Hesterbrook died in 1973, just before the congressional hearings on the CIA use of mind control were held. He would have likely been one of the experts called in uh, in the field. His writings during the Cold War were all very revealing including his his rational for why, when, and where uh, controlling a person through hypnosis could be justified. Revealing his thoughts in his published works, he attempted to rationalize his research
1: with unwitting
0: subjects. He deliberately created multiple personalities, fracturing personalities through induced trauma, and then reprogramming people. All of these ideas were discussed in two of his most important books, hypnotism in 1943 and the future of the human mind in 1961. The idea that there were military uses revealed in a chapter in hypnotism called the hypnotism, the hypnotism in warfare as was his rational rationale for justified research and the use of these technologies. He also believed that LSD was useful in researching the human mind, LSD would later be used in mind control programs with the CIA, not successfully, of course. But uh, this gives us a very good idea of the origin of the whole Manchurian Candidate principle. By the way, uh, uh, the film recently, the Manchurian Candidate film, which came out back in the in, in, in the nineteen um, the first version of it. Was back in the nineteen seventies, and of course, it supposedly uh, took place during the Korean War, uh, and uh, that 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 film starred Frank Sinatra and Janet Lee, and, and
1: uh,
0: uh, it's been recently remade. The original is much much better than the remake. Um, the uh, in in the remake, the remake they use an implant instead of instead of hypnotic, uh, and that. That's not the original idea at all uh, now um the only other thing i would um uh, i would uh, like to s- mention about uh this uh, the, this mind control uh, electronic mind control is that uh it is that it is in a sense it is cumulative and this is this is in the case of the political correctness this this is uh this is a cumulative version of it and it it uh they literally uh we we are literally brainwashed by by uh the content of our media of our mass media and uh our films and 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 uh television and the way the news is spun and and uh and, and of course, um, the uh, the use of neurolinguistics. By the way, I mentioned neurolinguistics um, uh, as part of the brainwashing part of the brainwashing technique. And I will, I'll give you another example of that. Uh, neurolinguistics. Yeah, you can. In neurolinguistics, you learn that if you wish to get someone to do something, you ask them three times to do it. And the first time, the first time well, when you, you they they can they can refuse the first time. The second time uh, they have to. They, they 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 the neurolinguistics researchers found out that that the human that the human mind when it, when it's faced with making decisions that it, it doesn't like to make any more than than he doesn't want to have any more than three choices and it and, and it can't handle any more than three choices so the example that the uh that, that that's used in this is um when the uh uh when the load, the uh uh the the guy that has the day with the girl and he wants and he and he wants to get her into and he wants to get her or he wants to get her to come into his apartment and he says and she she's at the door and and he says uh come in, take your coat off, and sit down so uh she comes in because that's that she doesn't want to handle she can't handle any more than three, so she's got three things that she's been told to, uh, to do he says, "Come in, take your coat off, and sit down." so she comes in, she takes her coat off, and then she decides whether or not she's going to sit down so what he's done is it's it's it's, it's like a magician forcing forcing cards on you you know the magician uses in fact, I think that's probably where the where the neuro linguistics people where they where they learned it was probably from from magicians because this is this is like the force card. Uh you know, pick a card any card, <laughs> And uh the uh, uh neurolinguistics, I remember there's a very, very good example of it in a film by none other none other than Orson Welles, And the film is is uh called Black Magic. An appropriate title, and Orson Welles plays Coleostro. and this is one of the most one of one of the most powerful scenes of of instant mesmerism. Because back when hypnosis got started, these mesmerists, stage mesmerists, were phenomenal. These people were were literally they they were they 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 were they were phenomenal they could walk out on the stage and 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 uh take someone and just and just and just point their finger at them and and and, and paralyze them you know with, with uh, just with their with their with their hand with their hand and their eyes. It was like old Bill of Lugosi, you know with his with his with his hands and uh uh the they they they, they had a tremendous ability to do this partly based upon the fact that people thought they could do it. There was a the power of suggestion when uh when someone comes uh walking out uh and, and uh, uh walking walking to to you looking you're looking you right in the eye and he says sleep and in a very commanding sort of way and, and you know he's a hypnotist here he is wearing a tuxedo and a cape and all of this, and you know he's hypnotist. So he has, he already has that, uh, you know that, that uh, aura about him, and and your power of suggestion. So part of it was that, but but there was more to it than that. They they, they these these original mesmerists, they, they they did, they had something. They they had something that that hypnotists today wish they wish they had. Of course, old Milton Erickson had it. And you know, you never want to shake hands with Milton Erickson. If you shook hands with him, he he had you. he he had you. His his colleagues didn't even want to shake hands with him. Not even at cocktail parties. <laughs> yeah. The uh um uh, what Collier, what what uh Wells did in this film is that he was invited to to the Royal Palace and and uh the aristocrats Wanted to make fun of him, so they dressed up as as poor cripples and and poor uh, poor beggars and cripples, and they all they all pretended that they were that they were uh, uh, afflicted with various uh, you know they were limping and they were and they were one of them had palsy and and uh, and they were uh, one of them was down on all fours. They 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 were all acting as if they were afflicted, and they and they they, uh, and, they and they and they demanded to be cured because he was Colliostro uh, was was making a reputation as a healer uh, around Paris. So um, Wells was very impressively dressed. You Whether know, this. This costume, the, the, the magician looked like a looked like the magician out of a Lindsay painting, and he was he was very impressively dressed, and and he he walked over to to one of these these um, one of these aristocrats who was shaking like a leaf, and he said and he said, "If I can heal, I can also afflict." He says. What is your affliction palsy? Yes, you have palsy, don't you? yes, you do you have palsy and and uh and uh the the guy that he does he he can't he can't stop he says you can't stop and and uh then he then somebody else he gets him down and he, he can't walk and uh and he does this by by the by the use of three. One, two, three. He says, "What was your affliction?" And 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 he uses and you 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 can't. You're lame. You can't walk. You can't. You know, uh, and and uh, and the uh, the effect is is tremendous because Wells, with his his own dynamic uh, personality. He gives you the impression as an actor he gives you the impression that he has this mesmeristic power the way the scene is done uh, but uh, neurolinguistics is is used uh by people you know with less mesmeristic or hypnotic power than that it's used in 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 our programming in in our uh in our arguments and 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 uh, and it's used over and over again to to uh, in in this uh, media brainwashing so uh, next week uh, let's the the end of uh, we'll wrap this one up here now uh Accept the fact that we live in an ocean of radiation. Now, I'm, I know Art Art Kunkin likes to likes to mention this in in relation to his uh, you know to his irradiated apples. And he says we live in an ocean of radiation. Radio waves, microwaves, waves in all frequencies pass through our bodies and our brains constantly. Now, to assume that these waves and the data they carry do not register and affect us would be very unwise. In fact, we should probably suspect electronic mind control as the primary agent in such incidents as mass shootings and destructive riots.
1: Remember the
0: Remember the shooter in the, in the in the in the in the Navy hospital with the shotgun. This is my elf weapon. Mm-hmm. Now, Frank Herbert's Nightmare Blues strangely resonates in today's political Halloween season. In 1939, Orson Welles broadcast his version of H.G. Wells' Mars Invasion on Halloween. So, Nightmare Blues is our Halloween offering. <laughs> now, uh, next week we're going to get uh, along the same line. We're going to we're going to have a a uh, present an essay on how the cultural Marxists. Hijacked Christianity, and that should be should be quite interesting. So, uh, the uh, uh, next week, uh, the hijacking of Christianity, and uh, and until then, good magic.